Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for coming to church. Oh my gosh. It makes all of the week worth it. So glad you're here. Hey, my name is Drew Collins. I'm the worship arts pastor here at South Suburban. We are continuing this morning in a series of talks called Essentials, where we're describing just some of the, some of the core things as a church that, that we believe and put into practice. So you'll notice in your bulletin in the sermon notes, one of the, one of the sides has those essentials written out. Well, today is week three of talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and today is, is, uh, is about God the Holy Spirit. So as we begin, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what inspires you? What inspires you? What gets you out of bed in the morning and says, I live for this? More than just coffee. <laughs> what, really, what really inspires you? What is it that, that just fills you up with life and says, I'm about that? While you're considering that, uh, let's do something together. Um, I work with singers all the time, and fundamental to good singing is knowing how to breathe properly. So as you're able, please stand up. Welcome to choir rehearsal. <laughs> okay, so feet shoulder width apart, one slightly in front of the other. All right, you don't want somebody to be able to push you over. Um, and here's what we're going to do. Just take a, a deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. One more time, in through the nose, out through the mouth. Um, to breathe well, you've got to breathe from the diaphragm down here. Okay, so we're going to celebrate the burrito babies that we have. All right? So, so breathe low, in through the nose, out through the mouth. In case when you take a deep breath, your shoulders do this, let me show you how to breathe differently. Because a good breath doesn't mean raised shoulders. That actually kind of makes you look a little bit nervous or constipated. Um, you want to relax your shoulders and fill your lungs, okay? So... So, so pay attention, keep your shoulders relaxed, breathe low here, burrito baby. In through the nose, out through the mouth. When a singer breathes well, her tone is natural. It's clear, it's resonant. When a singer doesn't breathe well, her tone gets constricted and harsh and has a tendency to go out of tune. Now, that could be the sermon right there. <laughs> but we have a few more things to say about the Holy Spirit. One more time, in through the nose, out through the mouth. Okay, please be seated. Well done, you passed your first, uh, your first audition for choir. Okay, why the breathing exercise? Because today we're talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Which is to say, we're talking about living lives that are inspired. So trust me, the exercise fits. Um, and if it doesn't for you today, I'll just say, well, isn't God a mystery? <laughs> Four brief definitions. Okay, there were two original languages that the Bible was written in. Do you know what they are? Greek and Hebrew. Yeah, exactly. Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New. And the Holy Spirit shows up in both the Old and New Testaments. Uh, the word in Hebrew used for spirit was ruach. And in the Greek, it's pneuma, like pneumatic drills. 
pneumonia, pneuma, right? In both the Hebrew and the Greek, the, the, the word carries the same kind of connotation. It means either spirit, wind, or breath. Okay, another definition. If we want to live inspired lives, what does that mean? What does it mean to be inspired? What does it mean to be inspired? Um, inspired comes from the Latin. It's, it's the joining of two words, in and spirare. And it literally means to breathe into. So when you ask, what is it that inspires you? It's almost like asking, what is it that just breathes life into you? Okay? One more definition. Some early Christians got together in a place called Nicaea, and they came up with a creed, the Nicene Creed, to help kind of explain who this God is that they've placed, placed their faith in. When they got to the Holy Spirit, this is what they said, these early Christians. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And if we take, take all those things together, the Hebrew and the Greek, the idea of being inspired, and then what Christians have said about the work of the Holy Spirit, you could almost describe the Holy Spirit this way. You could say, the Holy Spirit is the very breath of God who inspires us. The Holy Spirit is the very breath of God who inspires us. And if you think about it, doesn't that sound like the creation story? When God, when God created humankind, when he created the first man, and it says that he gathered up some, 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 some of the dust of the earth, formed it into a man, and what? Breathe life. life. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. So... Uh, that's why the breathing exercise. If you remember nothing else from this morning, um, perhaps during this week, you might take a deep breath and think, the Holy Spirit, he's that close. He is the breath of life. Um, in every generation, I would, I would say this, that the followers of Jesus who had the most positive impact in the world, because some have not had a positive impact, <laughs> would you agree? But the ones who have had the most positive impact in the world are those who lived inspired lives, who lived full of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple examples of inspired living. This first one comes from the early days of Christianity. And uh, it, it's, it's captured by a writer named Charles Moore. And he says this. You might know some of this history. He says, in 165 AD, during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, a devastating epidemic swept through the Roman Empire. The mortality rate was so high that Marcus Aurelius spoke of caravans, of carts and wagons hauling the dead from cities. Moore says... In all, during that 15-year duration of the epidemic, from a quarter to a third of the empire's population died. I mean, could you imagine? In the U.S., that would be like 100 million people. Almost a century later, a second epidemic struck the Roman world. At the height of what became known as the Plague of Cyprian, 5,000 people a day were said to be dying of the plague. Now, Rome was completely ill-prepared to help the sick or deal with mass death. By that time in, in, in culture and in the world, the people recognized 
that their Roman religious leaders, they were clueless as to why the gods had sent so much misery to earth or whether the gods were involved or even cared. Worse yet, Moore writes, the doctors, priests, and nobles fled the city in droves. The only way they knew how to deal with the epidemic was to avoid contact with those who had it. Now, in stark contrast to this, the Christians showed up. As the priests, as the doctors, as the rich, as as all of the civic leaders were fleeing Rome, the Christians went into the city. And it says this, it says, instead of fear and despondency, the earliest Christians expended themselves in works of mercy and deeds of compassion. In Rome, the Christians buried not just their own, but those outside the faith who had died without funds for a proper burial. They also supplied food for 1,500 poor on a daily basis. They took care of people through simple deeds of washing their sick bodies, offering water and food, and consoling the dying. The first Christians, more rights, not only took care of their own, but also reached out far beyond themselves. Consequently, at the risk of their own lives, they saved an immense number of others. Isn't that inspiring? Don't you hear that? I hear that and I go, I want to live like that. I want to care so much about what God's doing in the world that when everyone's running the other direction, I'm willing to run in. I want to live like that. That's inspired living. That's a group of people who allowed the Holy Spirit to breathe life into and through them for the sake of others. Here's another example of inspired living. George Friedrich Handel, one of the world's most famous composers, he wrote a piece you may have heard of. It's called The Messiah. Sound familiar? Um, What you might not know um, is that this 260-page masterpiece was composed in just 24 days. 260 pages 24 days. On average, that means that Handel was writing, he was composing 15 notes a minute for 10 hours a day for 24 days straight. That's inspired. That borders on craziness, but that is inspired. And there are people still singing that work today. Now, some of you are already thinking, hey, listen, I hear these two stories. I'm not really a Mother Teresa type, and I'm no George Friedrich. How am I to live an inspired life? Well, the good news is this. The Holy Spirit is not confined to working with famous people. Right? In fact, he's already at work within us and all around us. He doesn't give a rip what your title is or where you came from. And I don't know about you, I feel like that's good news for me. Because on my best days, I need help. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, he gives life wherever he goes and however he pleases. And his inspiration, it comes in all kinds of packages. Parents, have you you found yourself recently in a situation with your kids in which your standard response is to yell? But this time, this time, you paused, you were able to take a breath, breathe with me in through the nose, out through the mouth, and your response this time was more life-giving, 
That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some of you every day create meals to nourish others. That's inspired living. It might seem ordinary, but that's inspired living. Now, you might be thinking, hey, last night's meal was especially creative, and I'm not sure I want to give God credit for that one. All right, fair enough. Seriously, though, if this week you've changed a diaper, if you've checked in on a friend, if you've given your best day's work at your job, if once this week, instead of reaching for one too many beers, you made a life-giving choice, then you have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit because he's the giver of life. And wherever you see life in this world, you're seeing evidence of the Holy Spirit. Anywhere someone is making a life-giving decision, anywhere someone is creating something beautiful, anywhere that love is overcoming indifference, anywhere joy is replacing sorrow, anywhere peace is having the last word over war, the Holy Spirit is present. Anywhere the guilt and shame of sin and the past is replaced with the freedom to live fully for God, the Holy Spirit is there. The very breath of God inspiring life. Breathe with me again. In through the nose. Out through the mouth. Now, would you agree with me that most of the time you don't notice your breathing? Yeah? You only notice when you can't. <laughs> right? Typically. Unless you're a runner, an athlete, or you have some sort of vocation that requires you to really pay attention, most of the time you don't notice your breathing. I would say that's kind of true with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because he's the giver of life, if he removed his presence from us, we're done. But in his grace and in who he is, the fact that you're taking a breath is a gift and is a sign that the Holy Spirit of God is working and is present. Uh, because I work with singers, I, I've seen, I, in, in my own life, in fact, I've seen a lot of, 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 of uh, training pay off. Some days more than others. <laughs> but it's interesting with singers, they often get to this place where they realize that they need they need to pay attention to how they breathe, and they need to, to learn how to breathe differently so that when they sing, it's their truest voice, so that when they sing, there's clarity and there's depth and there's resonance, so that when you watch that person sing, you actually believe them. Does that make sense? So singers have to pay attention to how they breathe, and they have to learn how to breathe differently. Now, like singers, we all arrive at points in our lives when we realize that there's more to experience in life and that, like Jesus said, we want to experience life in all its fullness. Would you agree with that? Do you want to really live? I mean, just really live a joyful life? A spirit-filled life? Well, that's when we need the Holy Spirit to help us take notice and to learn to breathe differently. But because we're creatures of habit and we tend to be really forgetful, it often takes a clarifying moment of some sort for us to say, 
oh, okay, I can't do this on my own. Yeah, you ever been there? <laughs> it's usually through a clarifying moment that we pay attention to our normal habits and say something needs to change. That's where the Holy Spirit steps in. And that's where, that's where we come to today's scripture where the disciples of Jesus are having a clarifying moment at a dinner party that we now call the Last Supper. So let me set the, set the, the scene for you. Jesus is having a very special once-a-year meal with his disciples. He's engaged in probably one of the most meaningful conversations he's ever had with them. And it's in that moment that he leans in and he says, listen, my work here is almost completed. When it's done, I'm leaving. I'll come back. Now imagine, the, imagine seeing that scene through the perspective of the disciples. Right? Like you guys were ushered into Jerusalem with people cheering. The momentum of this whole Jesus movement is building. You guys are about to transform the world. And it's in that moment that your leader announces his retirement. Right? That would be like Peyton Manning, as soon as he was signed, he was like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> right? Now some of you are like, okay, I'm with you. I got that. That was a big deal. Yeah. It's in that moment that he drops this bomb and says, guys, I'm leaving. Definitely a clarifying moment. Let's look at the scripture together because this is what Jesus says. Because he can tell they're freaking out. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. What were the disciples worried about right then? If Jesus has to say to them, I won't leave you as orphans, they're afraid of being abandoned, Right? If he has to say, don't let your hearts be troubled, what's going on in their hearts? Trouble. It doesn't make sense for Jesus to stand up on a clear blue lake that's completely placid and say, peace, be still, right? It only makes sense to say peace when there's a lack of peace. And it's in that moment that he says, I'm not going to abandon you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Okay. In through the nose. Out through the mouth. That's a heavy conversation. That's a heavy conversation. That's not just like Chick-fil-A with a side order of symbolism. Like, there is serious stuff happening here. For the disciples, this was gut-wrenching. But I want you to take notice of something Jesus said. When he said he would ask the Father to send help, do you notice that he didn't say he would send something? 
But he said he would send someone. He didn't say, dudes, I'm out, but it's all good. I've signed you up for the Jelly of the Month Club. And there are 12 of you, and there are 12 months, so it's going to be amazing. You'll be fine, right? That's not what he offered them. He didn't say, I'm going to go away, but it's okay. I'm going to give you a blanket and put you in a cage. He said, I'm going to send someone to advocate for you. I'm going to send someone to remind you of everything I've taught you. I'm going to send someone to lead you and guide you into truth. I'm going to send someone to inspire you for what's coming next. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word used to describe the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is speaking right there, it's personal. And it means helper, or some of your, some of your Bibles might say advocate. Yeah? Now, this is a really important addition to our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Because while to this point we've been using this imagery, and it's biblical imagery, of the breath of God, there's a distinction to be made. Um, the Holy Spirit is not some unseen sense of power in the galaxy. He's not the force. All right? He's a person, which again is why Jesus said, I'll send you the helper and advocate, and why the early church says, we believe in the Lord, the spirit of life. To put it simply, the Holy Spirit is someone, not something. Yeah? So make sure, make sure if you hear someone referring to the Holy Spirit and they say it, go like this, oh. You need Jesus. Because <laughs> that'll be really helpful for their growth as a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is a person. That's good news. That means you can develop a relationship. If the Holy Spirit's a blanket, it'll be comfortable for a while, but you can't talk. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's a person. Now, um, so Jesus says, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Um, here's a question. Um, you know when you update your phone to the latest software or it does it for you at 2 in the morning and you wake up and you realize that your phone functions worse than it did before? <laughs> this is not that, okay? They weren't getting some crappy God downgrade when Jesus was like, Holy Spirit's coming, okay? But, get, but you can understand why they might feel that and why we might feel that reading it, right? It's like, I see Jesus face to face, now he's going away and he's sending somebody else. Right? Don't you read that and you're like, I, I don't want that. If I saw Jesus face to face, I would not want him to leave ever. And yet, Jesus says, I'm going away. And he actually says, this, this is ridiculous. He says, it's going to be better for you. So at first when I read that, that sounds like parents speak. Right? That's like, I know what's best for you. Just trust me. And then you realize that you actually do hate broccoli, right? Um, see, here's the thing. If, if you're wondering about like, man, is that, is that really better? Is that, was that really worth it? Um, in your Bibles, sometime this week, just start reading through the book of Acts, okay? It comes right after the Gospels in the New Testament. Um, 
It's the account of what happened when the Holy Spirit showed up in a new way and started teaching the disciples of Jesus how to breathe differently. There was a different experience of God to be had, and it was powerful. So powerful, in fact, that all of us here in this building today were a direct result of the Holy Spirit showing up in a whole new way, breathing life into ordinary people, and empowering them to live inspired lives. Because the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, showed up back then, South Suburban exists today. That's power. That's power. Because the church was, was, was initiated, was created on that first day of Pentecost. And we are part of that ongoing outpouring of the Holy Spirit teaching people to breathe in an entirely different way. So, be encouraged, South Sub. All right, we're going to have a, a real quick family meeting, okay? In the midst of this transition and this senior pastor search, you, praise Jesus, are not limited to my good ideas. <laughs> and guess what? You're not limited to Patrick's. And you're not limited to Joe's or Debbie's or anybody else's. Although, again, praise God, sometimes we have inspired ideas. We are the Lord's. This church, South Suburban, it belongs to God. We're his. And guess what? He has sent us his Holy Spirit to do what? To lead, to guide, to comfort, to convict, to restore, to remind us of what Christ has taught us, to breathe life into us, to inspire us to make a change and make a difference in the world. Amen? So, as we walk through this transition, church, if, if you find yourself breathing like this with your shoulders up and you're looking constipated, relax your shoulders, take a breath, and ask the Holy Spirit to move. Okay? If you're afraid of what comes next, and I'll admit, I'm on staff. I'm, I'm paid to be here and to say the right things. And I'm, I'm a little bit nervous because I don't know the outcome. That's normal, right? That's human. When you find yourself afraid of, oh, what's going to happen next? Breathe. And ask the Holy Spirit to replace your fear with love. If you find during this transition that you've wronged somebody, that your mouth maybe got the best of you, <laughs> or you didn't even need to use words, it was just this. It's okay. Breathe. Repent. Ask forgiveness. And ask the Holy Spirit to inspire you again to live in a way that brings him glory. Do you hear me, church? We don't have to be afraid because we're not being abandoned. <laughs> now, in preparing for this sermon, I really have been challenged by the setting in which Jesus does a lot of talking about the Holy Spirit. The upper room, 
I've been so challenged by that, especially because if the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, that means that how he works in the world should happen a lot through Christians and should make a difference, not just in my life, not just in this place, but in our world and in our culture. And so I'm reading, these, I'm reading this story again through a fresh lens, and I'm thinking, man, these disciples were worried about being orphaned. They were worried about being abandoned. They were actually beginning into the first stages of trauma that comes from separation. And church, I can't help but think about what's happening on our southern border with kids who are traumatized by separation. Um, now, last time I preached, I told you, I don't care what your politics are. And by way of brief update, I still don't. Um, here's the thing. If, if we are followers of Jesus, there's this really amazing freedom we have. And it's the freedom to see the world through the lens of the kingdom of God instead of through the lens of a particular political affiliation or ideology. It frees us up. And it helps us to be able to say out loud, guess what? Jesus is not a Republican. And he's not a Democrat. He's about the kingdom of God. So if we're going to walk inspired lives filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives us the freedom to back up from particular ideologies and say, is what's happening life-giving? If it's life-giving, you can bet the Holy Spirit's at work. And if it's not, we might need to readjust our thinking. Here's the thing. We have the freedom as Christians to hold differing views on a lot of topics. But we don't have the freedom to be indifferent to pain and suffering in this world. That's not an option if you're a Christian. You don't get to bow out. You don't get to not care. Regardless of where you land on the topics, when you see, when you see people that the Bible says are really close to the heart of God the Father, such as widows, such as orphans, such as those who are abused, such as immigrants, such as refugees, When you see harm being done to them, as a Christian, you don't have the option to be indifferent. So I'm heartened when I see news that says there are a bunch of attorneys offering their services for free to five and six and 10 year olds to get them reconnected with their parents. I look at that and I say, that's the Holy Spirit at work because that's life giving and that's ending a cycle of trauma. Whatever else happens after that, I don't know. But what's happening right there, to me, man, I look at that and I say, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Now, here's the crazy thing. Last monkey wrench for the sermon. Um, just based on the demographics of the United States, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, most of those attorneys probably aren't Christians. Guess what God says about that? Who cares? I will work and bring life in the world. That's what I do. So if you think, if you think that, man, well, it's, it's Christians that make all the difference in the world, I would just say this. Um, wherever you see life happening, 
you're seeing the impact and influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say Jesus doesn't care about the souls of all those attorneys. All I'm saying is, if as Christians we're sitting back and doing nothing, and all these attorneys are saying, hey, I'm going to go make a life-giving decision, we might have something to think about. We might need to change our approach. Um, Here's the thing, though. Followers of Jesus, they do have an advantage. And here's what it is. They can put a name and a face to their salvation. Because would you agree that Jesus really does change lives? Yeah? And that when you're not stuck trying to figure out how to relate to some unnamed good in the world or some unnamed power, but you can actually begin a relationship (laughs) with the God who created you, that that makes a big difference. So while the Holy Spirit, he will bring life wherever he goes because that is who he is. He'll work through anybody, anywhere, anytime, thank you very much. While that's true, there is something remarkable that happens in the life of a person who turns to God and says, I want to be changed. I know your name, it's Jesus. You are my savior and I want you to work through me for the sake of the world. That's powerful. Just like the Christians that when everyone was running out, ran into Rome. When people ask the Holy Spirit to empower them in a fresh way and use them for the good of the world, lives are transformed. Amen? And the world looks different. So here's the question as we wrap up today and prepare for um, a time of response. What inspires you? What is it that inspires you? What gets your what gets your heart going? What are those things you can't not do? Because I will guarantee you this, the Holy Spirit has inspired you for something. Without qualification, the Holy Spirit has inspired every one of you to be something, to do something. So what is that? And as we get ready to respond, I just want to leave time to reflect on that question. As we do, Breathe with me one more time, in through the nose, out through the mouth. And again, in through the nose, out through the mouth. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we get ready. But let's take a couple of minutes right now just to breathe and to listen to the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life.